I'm Joe Garofoli, the Chronicle's senior political writer. You're listening to It's All Political on Fifth and Mission. Senator Dianne Feinstein has announced that she will not run for re-election in 2024, ending more than a half century of public service. Feinstein was first elected to represent California in the Senate in 1992 and is now the longest-serving female senator in U.S. history. She first began serving in office in 1969 when she was elected to the San Francisco Board of Supervisors. Her colleagues appointed her mayor in 1978 after former Supervisor Dan White assassinated Mayor George Moscone and Supervisor Harvey Milk in their offices. She was the first woman to hold that position and was re-elected twice as mayor. Her career has been shaped by tragedy, perseverance, and an adherence towards political moderation, even as she represented some of the most politically progressive constituencies in the country. Today on It's All Political on Fifth Admission, we're talking about the career and legacy of Dianne Feinstein, from her political beginnings in San Francisco city government to her position as a leading Democrat on the national stage, and recent criticisms about her memory lapses and how they've affected her ability to do her job in the Senate. Here to discuss Feinstein's legacy and political career with me is the Chronicle's Washington correspondent, Shira Stein. Shira, thanks for joining me. Let's start with the news that Senator Feinstein will not be running for re-election. This isn't a surprise to us, but how's the news been received in Washington? People have been really kind. There have been a lot of really laudatory statements talking about her career, talking about the historic nature of her first election, talking about her and and her legislative accomplishments over many years. There have been many, many, many comments from folks in Washington and in California. Gavin Newsom talked about working with her for so many years, Nancy Pelosi. I mean, basically, if you can think of a California politician, they have probably put out a statement about this announcement. It's a big deal. Like, we know it's a big deal, but it's a really big deal. The candidates for California Senate are putting out their own statements as well. So we have two folks who have officially joined the race, Katie Porter and Adam Schiff, both lawmakers in Congress, and Representative Barbara Lee from Oakland, who has not officially jumped in yet, but is planning a run, as we previously reported. We even had Nancy Pelosi just less than two weeks ago endorsed Adam Schiff, but in it said if Feinstein chose to run that she would support her. So it's been a heck of a time to cover the U.S. Senate for the state of California. Right. And nobody mentioned anything about her memory issues. It's a difficult topic, Joe. But questions about Senator Feinstein's mental fitness have plagued her for the last two years while she's been in office. You've reported about this previously. How has she spoken about these concerns and did they factor into her announcement in any way? She didn't explicitly discuss them in the announcement. And as we've talked about here In the past, Tal Copen and I wrote about how four U.S. senators, including three Democrats, as well as former Feinstein staffers and another Democratic member of Congress, told the Chronicle that that her memory is rapidly deteriorating and it's affecting the way she does her job. And there's been other reports from other outlets corroborating this. She didn't say anything about it in her statement today. In the past, she said that uh, some of the things that uh, have been going on, she attributed to the long illness of her husband, Dick Blum, who passed last year and his death, and she's been mourning that as well. But she said it's time. She is 89 years old, and she was first elected in 1992. So it is a very long run. 
Sure. When you mentioned uh, Pelosi uh, earlier and the, and the nice thing she said and, and sort of the, I guess that was a dual endorsement of sorts. That was a way that Pelosi was kind of trying to, should we say, reframe the final few years of Senator Feinstein's uh, term in Washington. Actually, she spent a lot more time talking about Feinstein than she did about Schiff and all the things that she had done while in office. I mean, even just in recent months, we've seen some of these memory issues come up, but also just confusion around what she says sometimes. We've had some reporters who have misunderstood her even even today about what exactly she's saying in a hallway interview. So it's just been a persistent issue for the last few years. We already mentioned some of the candidates who are hoping to win her seat in 2024, but her legacy as a politician looms large. I want to hear more about her beginnings in San Francisco city government at a time when there were very few women in political positions, even at the local level. Yeah, what gets lost here is Dianne Feinstein's been on the scene in California politics going back to the the early 60s when Jerry Brown's father appointed her to a position And uh, she was first elected to the San Francisco Board of Supervisors in 1969, one of the first women on the board. And it was a a different era. She and another female member of the board, one day they wanted to eat lunch at a private club. And as those things were back in the day, they said, sorry, this is a men's day. You can't eat here. And some of us were having lunch um, at a club. And they said, this is for men only. And I was with another supervisor. It was Dorothy Von Berldingen. And I said, well, then call the police. And, and they sat us. <laughs> you said call the police and then yeah, we tossed out. And, and gave us lunch. And it began a change uh, in that particular club. So it was that sort of thing that she faced a lot, sometimes silently, sometimes publicly. It was a different era. But she tried a couple of times to run for mayor. She didn't make it. And then in 1978, we have the assassination of Harvey Milk, the, the first uh, out gay supervisor and the, and the mayor, George Moscone. And Feinstein at that time was the head of the board of supervisors. But privately, right before that happened, she was thinking of leaving office, of, of quitting politics. So she said, maybe this isn't for me. But her fellow members of the, of the board of supervisors appointed her as the mayor. And she helped to heal the city and pull it together at a very fractious time. She was reelected twice and did such a good job that she was on the shortlist to be vice president when uh, Walter Mondale won the Democratic nomination in 1984. It turned out to be a good thing. I think Mondale lost every state but one. And, and, and uh, Geraldine Ferraro is not heard from too much after that. You started to talk about this, but but that tragedy, the assassination of Mayor Moscone and Supervisor Harvey Milk, it it shaped her. It, it reminds me of, you know, another great recently retired female politician in California, Jackie Spear, and sort of how that kind of tragedy can shape one's career trajectory and political viewpoints. How did it do so for Senator Feinstein? Well, she was one of the first people on the scene. Here's a clip of her talking about that moment from our interview in 2018. Dan White came in, walked by me. I heard the shots. I heard all the doors slam. I went down and found Harvey Milk's body. She went in, and she is both the daughter of a physician and and the uh, wife of one, uh, and she put her hands in the the wounds. It was very visceral, and she's talked about that uh, many times. In fact, it was a campaign commercial for her in a couple of different campaigns. And uh, then everything changed. You, and you it, were the first person that you sort of told the world what happened. Yes. And I became acting mayor. She also 
faced a lot of when she was a mayor. There was a bomb threat at her house. When her young daughter was at home, the bomb didn't detonate. But she actually got a gun and would carry it around with her, trained, uh, was trained by some police officers about how to use it. But it was during a, uh, a mass shooting, one of the early high-profile mass shootings in this country that was in San Francisco, that led her to spearhead the passage of the assault weapons ban in 1994, which is a, a huge lift. You can't imagine anything <laughs> like that happening now. But that was one of her signature moments and signature pieces of legislation that she led. Yeah. Feinstein was elected to represent California in the U.S. Senate in 1992 alongside Barbara Boxer, the first two women ever to represent the state in the Senate in 1992. And she's also been the uh, sort of a career contemporary for, for many years with another powerful Democratic leader, Nancy Pelosi. How would you characterize uh, her, her relationships with uh, these groundbreaking female politicians? Yeah, I mean, as you were talking about, it was a different era, and it was especially a different era in Washington, which tends to be behind the times in these kinds of ways. There was this, this 1992 year of the women where Dianne Feinstein and Barbara Boxer were elected. It was also the year that Representative Anna Eshoo from Palo Alto was elected. And there were so few women in the Senate and in Congress in general. I cannot, like, emphasize that enough. And so especially being from California, that really bonded a lot of these members. I mean, the, the year of the women – there were five female senators who were elected to the, to the Senate from across the country, and that was a big number. That's that's why they called it the Year of the Woman, and that just today seems crazy that 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 could be such a big deal. So yeah, these these women were very close, have been longtime allies of each other. All of these women who who are sort of of that era. Yeah, I want to just note in, in terms of how far representation has come, certainly not far enough, but uh, right now there's a record number of women in the Senate, and I think it's uh, 25, I mean, still not 50%, but it's uh, 25 now. There's a record number of uh, women in the House, 153, which is about 28% of all members, and there's also a record number of women in the California legislature, but it's still less than 50%. And again, it would have been even longer amount of eternity to get to those figures without folks like Dianne Feinstein. I even ran the numbers, Joe, of the total number of people who have ever served in the United States Senate, and there have been a total of 59 women and over 1,000 men. I mean, when I when I saw that number, I just could not believe my eyes at how low, but it's, you know, the Senate has been around for quite a long time, and it is only very recently that we have started seeing women elected to it. After a short break, we'll be back to talk about Senator Feinstein's lasting impact on policy and her final term as a U.S. Senator. You're listening to Fifth and Mission. If you have a comment or there's a story you think we should cover, let us know. You can email us at fifth, that's F-I-F-T-H, at sfchronicle.com, or leave us a voicemail at 415-777-6156. Welcome back to It's All Political on Fifth and Mission. I'm Joe Garofoli, here with The Chronicle's reporter in Washington, Shira Stein. Now, Feinstein occupies a very interesting spot in the Democratic Party. She's often characterized as a centrist, even though she represents uh, our, our state of California here, one of the most politically progressive parts of the country. How's that played out over the course of her career as a legislator? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely put her at odds um, sometimes with the people that she represents. 
But I think largely it's become more of an issue in recent years. You know, California used to be more of a purple state, especially when she was first start being elected. I mean, she even lost the governorship to a Republican, which, again, nowadays you could never imagine a Republican winning for governor or it would be very difficult to do so. But, yeah, in recent years, she's definitely struggled with that. But she also like there have been policy positions that especially folks on the far left really do appreciate. You know, she's been a huge advocate for LGBT rights for a lot of her career and was one of the the key folks behind the Respect for Marriage Act that passed last year to enshrine marriage protections, at least in the in, in federal programs. What are some of the other policy highlights she's uh, known for? Oh, my gosh. The big one, and you mentioned it earlier, is the assault weapons ban of 1994. That's just, I mean, imagine passing something like that today. It it sunset after a decade. That's why it went away. So it ended in 2004. But she has pretty much ever since been trying to get that back into law. and, And many other members have as well. She was the chair of the Senate Intelligence Committee that criticized the post-9-11 torture program. She released that at the objection of President Obama. You know, that is another huge, huge point of her career that folks have focused on. She also has been a huge advocate for wilderness and land conservation and water efforts. And she helped create the Death Valley and Joshua Tree National Parks and the Mojave National Preserve in the California desert. Obviously, that's for our SoCal friends, but it, it does show uh, the importance of those issues to her. Well, Joshua Tree is beautiful to visit. We, 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 uh, we, we thank the senator for that one. <laughs> now, you know, politicians are very uh, reluctant to express regret over anything they've ever done or said. Uh, you know, once in a while you hear that. Has Feinstein ever had any regrets that she's expressed? One. One in particular comes to mind. It was her vote for the Iraq War resolution. And she said, quote, it is the decision I regret most and I have to live with it. And I think there are a lot of Democratic politicians who have that view. But like you said, to admit that you regret a vote taken on behalf of your, in her case, 40 million constituents, I think that's something that most people can respect. Mm In the past two years, Cheryl, we've seen uh, Feinstein's leadership position diminish somewhat. She's turned down significant positions on committees within the Senate. What have you observed about this? And what might a junior senator stepping into her position be in for? Yeah. I mean, the biggest one that she she turned down in the last two years, well, there's two. She stepped back from being chairwoman of the Senate Judiciary Committee and then At the end of last year, early this year, she had the opportunity to become what is called a Senate pro tem. Basically, they are the number three in line to the presidency. They are in charge of of handling the business of the Senate when the vice president isn't there. It's a ceremonial position, but it is in the line of succession. So basically, it's the president, the vice president, the speaker of the House, and then the Senate pro tem. So that would have been a big position, but she decided to, to decline. You know, she is definitely made fewer appearances in the state, made fewer appearances in Washington. And so she has really taken a step back in the last few years. And I think that was sort of why a lot of us assumed that this was what was what was going to be coming. A junior senator, they are not going to have the seniority that that she has had, that she has been in the Senate for so long. Everything in the Senate is based on seniority. That's how you get on committees. It's how you get people to, you know, support your bills, to do all sorts of things. So I think 
especially the people that we have running for the Senate seat right now, two out of three of them have been in the House for quite a long time and are going to be losing a huge amount of seniority moving to the Senate. So I think that'll be a pretty big adjustment for whoever ends up taking her seat. Even with this uh, announcement, Chair, uh, Senator Feinstein still has two years left in her term. Uh, We're not going to be voting for her successor until uh, November of 2024. Uh, What did she say that she plans to focus on, and, and what can we realistically expect from the remainder of her time in office? I've been talking to our staff about this the last couple of weeks because it matters to know what lawmakers are going to be working on for the next two-year term. I think some big things for her are going to be wildfire prevention. That's that's a huge issue for the state. Water issues. She has made water a, a huge priority in recent years as California has faced so many droughts. And then the last really big one is gun control. And I, I don't know how likely that is. But it's something that she has made a a huge part of her life's work. And I don't I mean, there it wouldn't be realistic to expect her to to give up on it in her last two years, even with how unlikely it is. Sherry Stein, thank you for joining me on uh, It's All Political on Fifth and Mission. Thanks, Joe. For a deeper look at Senator Dianne Feinstein's career in public service, check out the story that Shira and I wrote at sfchronicle.com and on the Chronicle app. There's also a column there that I wrote about how Feinstein's trailblazing career helped pave the path for a new generation of leaders ready to take power. Another reminder, Fifth and Mission is celebrating our 1,000th episode tomorrow, Thursday, February 16th. Come join us at Manny's and the Mission at 6 o'clock. Hosts Cecilia Lay and Damian Bowa will be talking about labor organizing in the Bay Area with special guests Zoe Schiffer and Anand Singh. And then... Comedian W. Kamau Bell will take the stage. For tickets, visit welcometomannies.com. I'm Joe Garofoli. I hope that you and your families are safe and healthy. Thank you to Francesca Fenzi for producing this episode, to the King, King Kaufman for editing it, and to you for listening. And remember, whether you were just elected to the Senate or you've been there way too long, it's all political on Fifth and Mission.